You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Uh, So this morning, as we come together, we're uh, also beginning a new sermon series together. And we're uh, we're journeying together through books of the Bible. Uh, And so, so far this year, we've looked at a couple. This uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. Uh, But here's where we've been. Uh, One of the things that was on my heart this year was to help us to grow in the Bible and not just to do kind of sermon series that kind of picked and choose across the Bible, but to really kind of bring the books together as a whole. And so what we have done in this first part of the year is we started with Genesis and we spent some good time in there looking at familiar stories in new light, old stories in kind of new ways. Uh, We just finished up a series on the book of Joshua. And so now we're jumping over to another type of literature that you find in the Old Testament, uh, which is wisdom literature. And no surprise, (laughs) wisdom literature aims to give us wisdom. Uh, And the book of Proverbs is a unique one. It's a book that I have never preached from before because it doesn't lend itself to that kind of format. But it's there and it's in our scriptures and it's significant. So we've looked at the law, the first five books of the Bible. We've looked at some of the history of the Bible and how the people of God kind of unfolded that. And now we're jumping over into Proverbs. Uh, As we continue on this summer, we'll look at Isaiah and Hosea. If you know anything about those books, it's going to be wild, (laughs) Uh, especially Hosea. Uh, But I want to take a look at this morning at Proverbs. Um, And so as we get into Proverbs here, Proverbs basically centers all around one question, and it's this one. What is the way of wisdom? What is the way of wisdom? And so as we look at Proverbs over the next couple of weeks, what we'll find is it both asks that question and it answers that question for us. So what I like about this, it's not like a lot of things that kind of set us up to say, here's the question, and sometimes you feel like you never get the answer. With Proverbs, we get the answer of the way to wisdom. Uh, It may be different than we expect, but it's certainly there. And I don't know about you, but I feel like wisdom is something that is important today. Because what I know is, what you know, is that information is readily available. Uh, We can find information on anything at any given time. We were at a soccer match for for my my son Sam yesterday, and I don't know a lot about soccer. I do know from watching Ted Lasso, it's called a pitch, and so I was really really proud of myself for that. Um, But when it was halftime, we were trying to figure out, like, well, how long is a regular kind of regulation halftime? And so I just pulled out my phone, and without even, like, typing in, just seried, how long is halftime? I found out it's different, I guess, based off of uh, where in the world you're playing soccer or football. But, uh, but what I realized in that moment was, was information is everywhere. Information is readily available. But what you and I need in an information-rich time is wisdom. Because wisdom helps us to discern between all the information we get, all the opinions that we get, all the different inputs we get, and to say, for me, this is where I need to go, or this is the answer that I'm looking for, or in this particular problem, I've gathered all my pieces and all my research, but this is the way forward. And especially for those of us who are followers of God, who are Christians, we want to know, God, what do you want me to do in this scenario? And I would love it if, if each week or on the wall something would be written or, or God would kind of speak to me and say, like, here's exactly what you need to do. But most often, what we have to do is we have to apply wisdom to our decisions and to the challenges that are in front of us. 
And so with a multitude of voices and opinions going on around us, wisdom gives us discernment and the ability to hear God's voice above all the other voices, as Jared's saying, above all the noise that we hear. And so what I want to do as we get started in Proverbs is what I've done with kind of each book so far. I want to give you a lay of the land. And again, my hope this year is not just that we look at the Bible and kind of pull out scriptures, but that we begin to get a sense of how the books themselves work overall. And so I want to look together at uh, what this is. And so Proverbs begins, we're going to take a look this morning at Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, going through about verse 7. So if you follow along on your phone or in a Bible, a paperback, I want to encourage you to follow along. But what Proverbs is basically doing is it's giving us a course in wisdom from a seasoned teacher to a willing student. We're going to get into all those categories, but each of those categories is significant. A seasoned teacher, not just someone who thinks they know a lot of things, right? And a willing student, right? There's a difference. My teacher's in the house. There's a difference between a willing student and an unwilling student. Like an amen for that one, right? Um, And so what we see here is the first section of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, is what we really call the course syllabus. So if you remember from from your education season, whether it was college, undergraduate, graduate, whatever, there was always kind of a syllabus. And in the first paragraph or the first section, the, the teacher, the professor would try to say, here are my goals for the class. Here's what I hope you will get from the class. And there's that outline of where we see this going. And we see that here beginning in verse 1. It kind of identifies who our teacher will be. And it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Reminds us that Solomon is King David's son from Israel. Now Solomon was the writer of a lot of the wisdom literature on that part of our bookshelf. Uh, And it's believed that Solomon wrote a lot of this. It's also believed that there was kind of an editor who pulled all these pieces together and, and put them into the form of Proverbs as we know it today. Uh, And, of course, then there's some pieces at the end that were written by others. But what I like about this is is the rabbis, when they comment on the the wisdom pieces, on the Proverbs, they say that uh, in Song of Songs, the other book, we find Solomon in his amorous youth. When we get to Proverbs, we find a seasoned, middle-aged person. And when Solomon begins to write Ecclesiastes, we find someone who is disillusioned in their old age. And so what we find as we look in here is someone who is in the middle of life, who is seasoned, who has some wisdom to share, and they want to share it. And they've got a willing student. And so it goes on in the second verse to tell us about the purpose. Again, this is a syllabus. Think of this like a syllabus. Their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline to help one understand wise sayings. And I want to give us... um, kind of a guide of where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. Uh, The chapter breakdowns look like this, and and ironically, much of Proverbs is kind of this introduction. So what we know as Proverbs, all those kind of wise sayings that we kind of pull out and all those kind of like little wisdom sentences, those only happen in chapters 10 through 29. Before that, 1 through 9 is just a lot of introduction material have a lot they need to introduce, how we're going to go through this course of study together. Um, So a lot of it is introduction. 10 through 29 are the Proverbs that we know. When we get to chapter 30, it switches gears, and instead of Solomon, it's it's the wisdom of Agar. 
Uh, and then if you know a particular chapter in Proverbs, it's probably Proverbs 31. Often used, maybe often misused. We'll have to wait to get to that one. Uh, but it's the wisdom that King Lamel learned from watching his mom. And so we're going to actually look at that one on Mother's Day. I think it'll be appropriate for that day. Uh, and I think what that'll show us is maybe that in some, some fresh light. But that's kind of the lay of the land. And if it helps you to know where the book is going, I think that's pretty significant. And then in verse 3, as we continue on, Solomon writes that they will provide insightful instruction, which is righteous, just, and full of integrity. And here's where I see the teacher telling us, here's what I hope you get out of my class, right? I hope that you walk away with a life that is righteous and just and full of integrity. And so that's my hope for us as we begin this journey through the book of Proverbs, is that we can walk away from this book and we can have a better sense of how to live our lives, what the way of wisdom looks like for us, to help us live lives that are righteous, that are just, and that are full of integrity. I don't know what your news feed looks like. I know what mine looks like. It's a lot of things that are happening in and around the church at all times. And I'm just reminded once again of how significant and impactful these kind of pieces can be. Imagine more people in our world and more news stories in our world where what we're seeing is, is people living lives of righteousness. That doesn't mean that we're always right and that we're over somebody else, but that we live a life that honors God. Lives full of justice, of seeking out what is right and what is best. Trying to lift up the voices of those who are not heard. Trying to seek out those who are kind of kept on the side or the margins. Lives full of integrity. I don't think anyone aims for a life without integrity, but it seems like the longer we live, the easier it is to find those shortcuts or those off-roads or those quick fixes. And before we know it, we're, we're in those integrity moments. And so just when we think that an Old Testament book doesn't really have a lot to say or it's just a lot of fun, pithy sayings, we're reminded by the author that, that these words matter and that they can help us to find the way of wisdom. So I hope that we will uh, kind of take the posture there of willing students. And that's what the next verse looks to is the goal of who this will be. And so in a sense, what we're seeing here is the audience. Uh, who was Solomon writing to primarily? And in verse 4, he says, they make the naive mature, the young knowledgeable and discreet. And I want to include verse 5 in that too. The wise hear them and grow in wisdom. Those with understanding gain guidance. Now, there's something unique happening here. And the format of the slide really bothers me, if it bothers anybody else, because it just doesn't, the lines don't line up well. So perfectionists in the room, I did this for a reason. <laughs> because I want us to understand something about Scripture. This particular book is primarily written as poetry. And so as we read Proverbs, we're reading poetry. One of the greatest challenges that we face is that you can't translate poetry well from its original language to another language. Right? Poetry does things, I mean, even at the simplest level, little rhyming words at the end of each stanza. Right? And so when you begin to take it from the original Hebrew into the English, sometimes we lose a sense of that. But what I want to see here is that one of the things that we'll see a lot in Proverbs, and this will help us as we go through, is called parallelism. And what it's seeking to do, the author will oftentimes tell us one thing and then basically tell us again with the same words. And so if you ever feel like you're reading something and it sounds a lot like the verse before, that was an intentional way of teaching, 
a way of saying, I've told you that the wise will hear them and grow in wisdom. And we're like, okay, got it. And the author's like, but those with understanding will gain guidance. And we're like, okay, now I'm listening. So understand that as we engage with Proverbs, we have a chance to be that willing student. I think it's helpful to know how the teacher is trying to teach us. And so as we begin to think about who this is for, uh, they tell us that it's for uh, the naive, right? the young. And when Solomon writes, he's writing to the young of Israel. And age-wise, what that would have looked like was everyone from the age of infant up to about the age of 20. In Israel's day, the age of 20 was kind of what we would call like an age of accountability, an age of responsibility, where you kind of took on your own responsibility. Even all the way up to the age of 30, at the age of 30, um, a young man could serve in the temple. Now, again, a lot of these writings were to young learners, primarily young boys, young men. We understand that today, of course, that this is for all people. But this age range that they're writing to was this infant to 30. And all of these ages would be someone who is considered a disciple, someone who would bring themselves willingly before a teacher. Now, one thing kind of shifts when we go from the Old to the New Testament. And what the shift becomes is that it's not so much about our actual age as our spiritual maturity. We could be old in age and lacking in maturity. Right? We could be someone who is older in years but new in the faith. And so in many ways we're entering more as, as, as a young child, as someone who is new to the faith. And so that's one of the shifts that we begin to make is, is just because I am the age that I am doesn't mean I know everything that I need to know. And I may be on the cusp of 40, I've still got a few more days. <laughs> I feel it. Uh, if I'm still kind of brand new in the faith, then I may not be 40 years old in the faith. You see what I'm saying? I may be a year or two old, and that's significant. In fact, what we see in the New Testament, I want to bring a verse up from 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people, but like unspiritual people, like babies in Christ. And it's a reminder to us that in the Christian faith, it's not necessarily something that we're born into and just kind of absorb by osmosis. It's a living, active thing, and so we grow into this. And so what I'm saying is, if you felt like you're outside of that range of that infant to 20 or that infant to 30, I want to invite you to reconsider Proverbs and say, I bet I can learn something from this. I bet it still has wisdom to teach me. I know in my own life there's areas where I'm still naive and, and need understanding and need wisdom. And so what I want to encourage us to do is to really pursue that journey of a lifelong learner of God's word and scripture. And, and of course, as I mentioned in verse 6, what we see here is that uh, it says, they help one understand proverbs and, and difficult sayings, the words of the wise and their puzzles. And what I see here is a reminder for us to be willing disciples. For us to, to gather willingly into a place where we can learn and grow. I'm also reminded that wisdom is something that we can read. But have you ever noticed that the wisdom that we often receive is never kind of read or shared in a message or a text? It's oftentimes told to us, you know. Sometimes I picture Solomon on the front porch in his rocking chair just kind of imparting wisdom to this younger crowd who's kind of gathered around in that moment. 
think it's good for us to gather in this format and to hear these words of wisdom aloud because that's how we tend to take it in. That's when it seems to make the most sense. It seems to me what Solomon wants us to do is not just to go through and, and memorize these little sayings so we can, we can pop them off to someone or share them in a moment and feel like we know something. Solomon wants us to truly acquire wisdom so that we can live this in our practical experience. For those who love the practicality of the book of James in the New Testament and for its simple way of saying, here's a very straightforward way of how to live as a follower of Christ. Proverbs would be the Old Testament correlation to that. And so, so far, everything's good. It's kind of pretty on the surface. Like, there's not a lot here. But verse 7 is where things get a little bit trickier. Uh, It's because verse 7 says that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, hopefully you can see the parallel in that where you have the first line and the second line. I don't know about you, but I've always struggled with that passage, the fear of the Lord. And it comes up a lot in the Old Testament, and it's a common phrase. And it's a common way of understanding uh, who God is and how God works. And so this is another one of those ones that's good for us to really dig into definitions. Because when we hear this, we hear wisdom begins with us being afraid of the Lord. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, you have a, a teaching relationship based on fear. That doesn't tend to go well. That doesn't tend to produce willing disciples, right? And so what I want to look at here is this, because this idea of the fear of the Lord is really, as Solomon gives us, the key motivation for the rest of the book. Everything that we do ought to be motivated by this fear of the Lord. And so I want to dig into that in just a minute, but I want us to think also about wisdom today. And I want to just invite you in in your own mind to think about when I say to you, who is wise today? Or what makes someone wise today? I want to invite you to think about what are some of the categories that you think of. I jotted a few down for myself. When I think of who is wise today, I think of someone who's wealthy. Because they've used wisdom to gather a good bit of wealth for themselves, for their family, for their, their kind of circle. Sometimes. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. <laughs> right? But sometimes like that, with, with this idea of who's wise today, I think of someone who's found a loophole. Right? Oh, like, they were so wise because they found a way around, and all the rest of us are still trying to slog through. Right? For all those tax professionals who just kind of crossed your finish line this past week, well done. Congratulations. There's a lot of loopholing, right? And, and I think all of us enter the season of, of January, February, March, April thinking like, all right, all right, all right. How do I make sure I pay the IRS the least that they require of me to keep the rest for myself, right? And those who find the way to do that, we often call wise. We oftentimes think of those who are wise as those that we can look on, we can kind of peek over our fence at their backyard, we can look at their house or their space or their car and think, man, they're doing really well. Look at all their stuff, or look at their life, or like look at their kids. Like, like they're doing well, and they're wise. And I'm, I'm a little bit troubled by that definition, and I, I'm not really kind of looking at examples from y'all. These are examples of ways that I see wisdom. I don't know how you see it. But for some reason, when I think of someone who's wise, I think of someone who's kind of finding the edges and making a way around. 
And so what I'm facing as I come into Proverbs are two things. I'm struggling with what does wisdom look like, and I'm struggling with the fear of the Lord. And what I'm realizing is that we've got a modern concept of both of these words, and Solomon meant them very different. So one of the things that we'll need to do is to continue to kind of make sure we're coming at this from the way that Solomon wanted us to. Because when Solomon talks about wisdom, Solomon talks about something that you have acquired through skill, something that you have, some knowledge that you have that you have applied. And so it's a very practical thing. It doesn't think about kind of skirting the edges of stuff. And I want to talk about fear. Because again, what are the words that come to mind when you think of fear? Just like name those out loud. What do you... What are like your synonyms for that? I was going for things like afraid, like trembling. When I think of something to fear, I think of like a dangerous situation, something that's a threat. Uh, and, and this idea of the fear of the Lord producing trembling, danger, pain, or threat. <laughs> right? That's not what we're looking for, is it? But I think that's what's fueled a lot of the, what we might know from the past of kind of the hellfire and brimstone type preaching. Right? That seeks to motivate someone by just making them terribly afraid of God, of the end of the world, of the end of their life. Fear is a great motivator, right? Like we'll just change the slide here to like the news network. Like, the, like fear motivates us. But we've got to ask the question, is it motivating us the right way? What are the long-term results that it produces? And so that's the way that we understand it. What I want to share with us now is the way that uh, fear was thought of back then. And really, if I could just ask you to, to sub out that word, fear, for the word awe, we'd be getting a lot closer to what Solomon wanted us to understand when he says, wisdom begins with the awe of the Lord. And that gets a lot closer to where they were going. Because that word then for them meant a sense of reverence, a sense of respect, a sense of loyalty to God. It had nothing to do with, with trembling and being afraid that God might show up, it, but it had everything to do with how we oriented ourselves towards God. A sense of loyalty to who God was, a sense of reverence for the, for the grandness of who God is. A sense of respect for God's work in the world, the ways we understand it and the ways that we don't, and really just a sense of overwhelming awe. That's going to be the motivator for us through the rest of the book. That idea of a healthy reverence for God. And so perhaps it's helpful to you. You're not really changing the words of the Bible. If that kind of bothers you, what you're doing is just changing the way we've translated them into English to make it make more sense in the original language. So anytime you see that, I want to invite you just to think about replacing that with the awe of the Lord or the respect of the Lord or the loyalty of the Lord. Because what we're seeing is it's not so much about emotion, but about our orientation to God. And what we see is the picture of a disciple who comes and sits at the feet of their master, not because they're afraid to be punished or, or what, but because they want to learn. And because they're loyal. And because they can see the way of wisdom that they have lived out. And so what I want to remind us is that all of this growth is simply in response to God's grace to each one of us. It's in response to God's loyalty to each one of us is why we do this. And so Solomon tells us that it's 
the beginning of wisdom for us. And so as we get started in this series, what I want to ask you is to hold this question in your mind. What kind of wisdom are you looking for? And what we see throughout the book are those chapters where it tells us those proverbs, and then what I call the last two chapters, 30 and 31, are kind of the case studies, the, the wisdom applied. And I think a learning scenario goes much better when we have a tangible thing that we're applying it to, when we're trying to say, how does this make sense today? So I want to ask you to think for yourself, what kind of wisdom are you looking for? Where in your life do you need wisdom? What are the questions that you might have that you're looking to get an answer towards? And if you can hold that question in tension as we go through the next couple of weeks together, I think what we'll find is a way to say, okay, here's the wisdom I hear this week. How can I take what I've learned and begin to put it into practice in my everyday life? Because again, there's a lot of wisdom out there. And what I want to kind of set you up for too is, here's the things that we won't get in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you won't get any good investment tips, right? You won't find any get-ahead-quick schemes or ideas. You may find something that helps you, but you won't find a productivity manual about how to do more with less time. You won't find a get-rich scheme, right? I'm popping some bubbles for you. <laughs> right, okay. All right, well, thanks, Dan. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, right? But that, so if, so we, what we won't find in Proverbs is kind of like a, a Tony Robbins kind of pitch that helps us to find those things that help us to get ahead. No, no offense to that, but that's a lot of what we see and what we call wisdom. How to get more money, how to get investments, how to get ahead, how to be more productive. I mean, my news and timeline are just filled up with all kinds of things that if I just buy the subscription for $19.99, like my life will be better. Like if I buy this system for the church for $100 a month, like, y'all will be revolutionized. The church will be revolutionized. It'll, like, things will set themselves up, right? And the first month's free. Like, that's not what, that's not what Proverbs gives us. I wrote it this way. What Proverbs will give us and what we can find as we go through this book together is wisdom from experience, from observation, that's rooted in a healthy relationship with God. And I could use some of the other stuff in my life, some of those things in those categories I just mentioned. But what I really need, and I think what you really need too, is wisdom for living that comes from a deeply rooted, healthy relationship with God. And I use that word healthy as a way of understanding what the fear of the Lord or the awe of the Lord means. In a sense, what Proverbs can help us to do is to find our yeses and our noes things that we say yes to, the things that we say no to, and how we live our life that way. I came across this quote this week in my study from Ellen Davis. Uh, she's a professor of Old Testament at Duke Divinity School. And she says, the Proverbs are spiritual guides for ordinary people on an ordinary day when water does not pour forth from rocks and angels don't come to lunch, which is to say, most days. And I love that so much, because most of our lives are not lived on mountaintops, but in the everyday lives, right? In the everyday place. And that's where wisdom is needed the most. Sometimes the decisions on the mountaintops almost make themselves for us, or are so obvious that we know what to do. It's that everyday living where it's questionable and challenging. And that's what we find as we gather.
So what I want to invite us to do this morning is to, uh, to renew our commitment to us. What Proverbs asks of us is that we would submit ourselves as willing disciples. And so what this reminds us is that the goal of teaching and education is not just placed on the teachers and the educators. We are the ones who are sitting in the seats. We are the ones who are sitting at their feet and learning. And so it takes a certain disposition within ourselves to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to see things a little bit differently than I have. I'm ready to maybe change my mind about something or to do something different or to try something new. But all of this comes out of this healthy relationship that we have with God. So this morning, what I want to invite us to do is uh, really what Jesus called his disciples to do in the beginning when, when Jesus said to them, uh, repent and follow me. When Jesus said, kind of change your hearts and your lives and follow me. Was Jesus was inviting us, Solomon is inviting us to reorient ourselves from all that wisdom that claims to be wisdom. That's really just trying to help us find our own loopholes. And to say, submit yourself to the way of Christ. Find a way to kind of sit at the feet of Jesus as a disciple with hands open, ready to learn. And that posture for us can make all the difference. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.